Adam, I am not Pastor Ryan, and I am not Pastor Brett. Um, they are both right now in the United States, taking some time with their family up there, and so they're doing, um, they're doing great. They wanted me to say hello for you guys, and to thank you for all their prayers that, that you've been praying for them. I think it's important that we pray for the leaders of our church, because they have a lot riding on them. I mean, really, they are responsible uh, to God for your souls. And so I think we should always take time to pray for them. They've, um, they've done a lot for us. And I want to just tell a little bit about myself. My name is Adam, like I mentioned. My wife, as you previously met here on this microphone over there, her name is Paula. We have two kids. And we've been in Cayman for about six months. Now, when we decided to move to Cayman, largely uh, we came here because of Sunrise, because of our relationship that we had with Pastor Ryan, because my wife and I were missionaries in Peru for about seven years, seven or eight years, and we, um, we built this relationship that we had with, with Pastor Ryan and with Sunrise Church while we were down there, and so when we felt like God was calling us out of Peru for a time, we were wondering where should we go, and we felt like we had family here. We felt like we had family here on Cayman, and so we came, and it really has been an adventure. Um, I, I remember since I was a kid, you know, I, I, I really can't complain about my life because I've had a really good life. Um, <laughs> I have a good family. I've, um, I've never really suffered any great loss in my life, and I used to always, you know, just think, well, it's because God's taking care of me. It's because, you know, God is, is just directing my life, and I had this really romantic view of, of what God was doing with my life and how he was in control of every single part, and he was just making it better and better and better and better, and, and it was great. It's a great um, outlook on life to believe that God is just continually to put just good things in your life and that the only thing that's coming next is good things. So what happens whenever something bad happens? <laughs> Or when something doesn't quite go the way that you would write it out in your script. Because, I mean, I, I, I honestly have to say that that time came for me. Where things were going great. Things were going really good for, for us. And then, all of a sudden, we don't think that we really messed up. But things weren't so great anymore. The things that were happening to us were not good. And it made me really question, okay, God, why is this happening to us? What is going on here? And I, that's what I, I wanted to examine today. Now, with my philosophy that I had, there's, there's really two outcomes to why these bad things are happening to me. The first is, okay, well, God slipped up and it got out of his hands. <laughs> or maybe God doesn't view greatness like I view greatness. Let's pray um, before I get any further into this. Uh, God, I thank you for your hand that is over each and every one of us. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are a great God and that we can trust you even when things don't seem to be going so great in our life. <laughs> I thank you that we can learn from your word. I pray that you would open our eyes and, and, and our hearts to receive this message from your word today. I pray that you would help me 
to, to be able to share what you've put on my heart, and I pray that you would guide my words. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to look at David today. Now, David was a great man. David, as you can probably remember in the Bible, he, he had many times of greatness. We tend to think about the great battle that he had with Goliath. We tend to think of this great palace and kingdom that he began to build. And he did some really amazing things, David did. But we tend to forget or just kind of not focus on this awkward kind of teenage year of David's life. And I say that because, you know, we all have these pictures that we try to hide from Facebook, don't we? I mean, they're usually middle school around that time where it's either with the braces or the hairstyle or the clothing that you, we try to kind of just forget about that because it was, it was honestly a pretty ugly stage for us. And we don't want people to know that about us. And I believe that as Christians and David, he, we also work through some of those times in our life. Now, David, like I mentioned, he was, a, he was known for greatness from early on in his youth. I mean, he killed the giant when he was young. He was an amazing harpist, and he, he was a well-known musician, so well-known that the king of God's people asked him to come and play a private session for him whenever he had a headache. <laughs> he was very successful in all that he did. And <laughs> to be honest, I wanted to be just like David. Whenever I, I thought of greatness and what I wanted my life to be, I was thinking, I, I want to be like David. You know, he, he played these private sessions for the king and he worshiped God from the palace and he was, he was so well-known with everybody, they would start singing songs about him. It's, it's kind of like I wanted what David had, but what David had, I, I didn't completely understand the man of David. Now, in the story of, of David, I'm going to, to read a lot of scripture today, and, and forgive me if I jump around a little or, or paraphrase a few of the verses, because I feel like the story itself is telling us some very important things, and, and I wanna, the scripture itself is, is so uh, full of wisdom, but also the story itself, what happens to David, is also very important. So I want to start by looking at 1 Samuel 18. Verses 5 through 9. Now, to catch you up in the story, David had already killed Goliath. He was now in the king's presence because the king asked him to play his harp. And so he was basically adopted into this royal family. And he was, he, he had so much going for him, it seemed like. Because he was just this shepherd boy before. Worth nothing in the eyes of most men, <laughs> But the king called him out. Well, actually, God called him out. <laughs> and David was in the palace, and, and this is what happened. Verse 5, 1 Samuel 18. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry, 
What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now here we see David's name being lifted up. And I bet that felt good. (laughs) Don't we all kind of enjoy it whenever somebody gives us a pat on the back or starts praising our name for the great job that you did at work? It's, It's almost like an addiction that we get sometimes, where we get so addicted to the praise of people that we don't realize what it does to us, what it does inside of us. And so David is growing in this sort of name that he has. He's, he's becoming famous. And Saul, the king of Israel, is becoming more and more jealous of him. And in 1 Samuel 18, it says in verse 28, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michelle loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. Fame has... um, it's a really difficult thing to manage. And I think that a lot of us probably know about all the different famous people that have chosen to take their life just in this past year, just recently, this past week. And there's something that fame can do to you because you can, you can think that it's all about getting people to love you and all about people to, to praise your name, that you really forget about what's really important in life. Now, I can share from my own experience that I got caught up in the social media game. (laughs) And I'm not saying that social media is this horrible thing from the devil, (laughs) but it can do something inside of us. I remember the first day or the first time that I realized that I had more than a thousand Instagram followers. And it makes me think, it makes me almost pity myself. To remember that that was such an important thing for me. That I held value of strangers knowing who I was. And that I knew nothing of their life. And they knew nothing of mine except for the nice pictures that I posted. (laughs) It's something that, that, that can change the soul of a person. Because they begin to, instead of focusing on what's real, they focus on just the appearance of realness. The appearance of having it all together. And I think that that's kind of what happened with David. He, he was getting so popular and he was getting so built up that on the inside he was crumbling. On the inside he might have forgotten what God had done in his life. And so Saul remains angry at him. Saul still wants to kill him. Saul is focused on killing David so much that he throws a spear at him and, and he, he narrowly avoids death. Eventually, David realizes that he has to run. He's scared. And so what does he do? He, he runs to this, this village that, where a bunch of priests live, and he's in such a hurry that he goes in and he makes up a story. He lies to the head priest. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 21. David asked Ahimelech, that's the priest dude, do you have a spear or sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon which was a lie. (laughs) 
I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, the priest replied. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Take that if you want it, for there is nothing else here. And David replies, there is nothing like it. Give it to me. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. Now, not considering the consequences of David's lie and David's actions, he runs from King Saul and he begins to just, I think he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. He needs something to defend himself. And so he goes to this priestly village because he knows that maybe they have a weapon. Maybe. I mean, it's a village of priests. I don't know what he was thinking. But they had this sword of Goliath. And so he takes it. And then he runs to the enemy king to look for refuge. When he's at this enemy king, the king and his people realize who David is. They realize that he's the guy that killed the Philistine warrior. There was no way that they were going to help him. It's better. They better just kill him. And so David starts to act like a madman, literally. Starts scratching at doors, drooling down his beard (laughs) to the point where the king says, why have you brought me this madman? Send him out. So they kick him out. His own enemies, they just kick him out into the wilderness. And so David is now wondering what to do. And where does he go? 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 2 tells us, So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there, and others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. <laughs> A cave. I mean, have you ever sunk so low? Has, has life gone so bad that, You don't have your friends, you don't have your family, you don't have your title, that you go to a cave. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's a very strong visual for us to think about living in a cave. But I think it's something that happens regularly today. Maybe not living in a cave. But if 400 other men found it more more of a home to live in a cave than their homes themselves. It's, it's more likely a problem that is repeated even until today. That we are looking for something, and something doesn't go our way. Now, these men, they say, were debtors, they were discontented, or they, they had trouble. And we all have trouble. So David was in a cold, dark cave with a bunch of other guys who were in a very similar situation. Maybe somebody was trying to kill them. They were running. They were desperate. They didn't know what to do. And, you know, the cold, dark cave is a remarkable place because it's, it's usually the place you go after you're broken or maybe you're being broken in the middle of it. Because, I mean, a guy with a lot of options isn't going to choose cave as his option. <laughs> That's really the last resort. You know, a wise man once told me that while he was drinking, as I believe is Starbucks, that being a Christian leader is a lot like a potter making a coffee cup. Now, the, the potter will, will make the coffee cup on the wheel, and he does a very good job at forming it, making it very equal all the way around, and then at the end he attaches that little loop. I don't know if you put your pinky through it or your finger or whatever. You use it to drink your cup of coffee. 
and then he sets it to dry. Now, for those that know anything about pottery, I really don't know much at all, but I do know that there is a closet that usually you put the clay, the finished piece, or what appears to be finished, into this closet so that it can dry. If you were to put it immediately into the kiln, what would happen to that cup? Most likely, it would explode. Minimally, it would crack. It would be useless. However, if you were to put this cup into this cold, dark closet so that it can set, so that it can dry slowly out of the view of other people in this area where nobody remembers it, I bet it's a very lonely place for that cup. But what would happen if we forgot about that process and we just decided, okay, it seems like it's done. It seems like, you know, it has the shape of a cup. It's not completely dry. But what would happen if we just poured a hot cup of coffee into that cup? Now, the, the most logical answer and the one that I gave him was, well, it's going to ruin the cup because the hot water would immediately hit it and it would just probably dissolve into mud. And he says, yes, that's true, but that is not the most important factor. The most important factor is that you ruin the coffee. <laughs> and when we think about it as a Christian leader, yeah, it's, it's important, you know. We want to be strong. We want to be able to hold it, this gift that God has given each one of us. But think about, would you really want to waste what God has invested in your life? Man, that's something that I never want to waste. Something far more important than this life that I have built up. So, if the cup dries, and in the process of drying, and he sees that, if the potter sees that it's, it's not forming the way, or it's not drying because sometimes it shrinks whenever it goes in the drying process, or sometimes the handle falls off. Sometimes the potter has to take the cup, and he has to smash it to begin to rework the clay. And that's what happened, I believe, to David in that cave. It said that, you know, I believe that, that David had to deal with a lot of things in the cave. That was his drying closet. That was where he had to go to get fully prepared for what God was going to do in his life. David had to deal with his fear. He had to deal with his guilt that he had. And he also had to deal with his identity. You know, Whenever we're going through these tough times, sometimes we get this distorted perception of our fear, of our guilt that we carry, and of this identity that we hold. Whenever we're going through these really tough, difficult times, it's, it's almost impossible to keep our eyes focused on God because we're so busy focusing on what's right in front of us. The thing that's right in front of us is what's going to take our attention. There's this... Um, I'm sure you've heard of this guy named Plato. And he had this, um, I guess it was, an, it was called an allegory, metaphor, whatever you want to call it, of a cave. Now, in this cave, there were prisoners that were chained to the back of a wall. And they had never left. The, I don't know what they did to deserve it, but they've been there basically since for as long as they can remember. And all they could see was what was directly in front of them. They couldn't turn their heads side to side. And what was directly in front of them was projected some shadows onto the wall. 
Now, they began to believe that this was the reality. They began to believe that this was life. They didn't think of trees and butterflies and rainbows and water. They thought of a cold, dark cave with shadows. Now, imagine what it would be like (laughs) for David to be in this cave, to be in this cave with a bunch of other guys who are just dealing with problems and dealing with whatever it is that brought them to this cave. It's, it's so hard to, to forget about the pain that's right in front of us. But I think that, that David, you know, he must have gone through some really tough days in this cave. You know, it was David's fault. I bet it was a really tough day whenever he learned that the priest that helped him by just giving him a sword and some bread. The priest that helped him, Saul found out. And so Saul went to that village and he slaughtered all the priests just because he was mad at David. Could you imagine carrying that burden? I bet it was a really tough day whenever it seemed like things were playing out that he could avenge the priest's death, that he could avenge everything that Saul had done against him. Because Saul was hunting David, and he was going from cave to cave, searching for David's. He didn't even know that he had a a large group of men with him. (laughs) But he was searching for David just so he could exterminate him. And in one of these times, Saul, the king of Israel, king of God's people, well, like all of us, he had to use the bathroom. And so he actually went into a cave to do his business. And in that same cave, David was hiding, up to a point where David could have easily just, with one single stab, done away with his enemy, done away with, and I bet it would have felt so good, right? (laughs) But what did David do? He says in in, in 1 Samuel 22, 6-7, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I mean, I really think that David is is going, to me, it seems like, okay, David, you're done. I mean, that must have been your final test. That must have been, you know, you were ready to leave the cave. But that didn't happen. And I wonder how difficult it was for David to continue living in this cave when he was promised a palace. (laughs) You know, the prophet Samuel came to David long before this time to anoint David to be the next king. And so you can imagine a young man knowing that he's going to be king, and he's basically promised a palace, and instead he ends up living in a cave. Could you imagine the disappointment? But, you know, that's, that's usually what we think about a king. We think about his wealth. We think about his splendor. We think about this beautiful palace whenever we think of the word king. However, I think God definitely views it differently. He was looking at building the heart of a king before giving him the riches of a king. <laughs> and he knew that David wasn't ready. You know, Honestly, the cave of Adalam was like a furnace that was just kept on burning away. These little impurities 
And God just kept on skimming off the top everything that was impure from David's life. But that wasn't even the darkest day. We haven't even reached the darkest time, (laughs) the darkest corner of this cave that David was in. See, in, in this time, David was living basically in the land of, of his enemies. And there was a king that was going to war, and he was basically recruiting all of, of the people that lived in his land, whether it be his people or not, to join him in this war. And so David, it was in his best interest to get up, you know, his, his group of men that he had, and they decided to go offer their support to the king. It's an enemy king, but they still figured, well, you know, we'll offer support to him. And he was rejected because of who he was, because they remembered his past. And so they took, he took all his men with him on this journey, and they came back to their home that they had built, I guess, around the cave. <laughs> they built a little town. And in 1 Samuel 30 we find what had to have been the hardest day of David's life. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 through 4, says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could not weep no more. They wept until they could weep no more. They ran out of tears. And honestly, I think it's there that if I were David, that I would have just given up. I would have probably said, God, (laughs) you're either not good or you're unable to take care of me. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point in life. <laughs> I'm sure your, your town and your home wasn't burned and your family was taken as prisoners and the king that you served wasn't hunting you and the position that you had wasn't just snatched away from you. But I think we've all kind of gotten to a point one time in life where we've wondered if God is listening to us. If God is able to help us, if he wants to help us, is he even listening to me? I mean, honestly, he lost everything. It was like Job number two. (laughs) But his response in the darkest day of his cave time is incredible. And I want to share that with you in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30. Now David was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. Yes, even the guys, even his buddies that he had formed in the cave, they were talking about killing him. Really, the guy lost everything. And they began talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. (laughs) Now, that is the response that God wanted to see from his soon-to-be king. He knew that true power was not measured by your wealth, your health, or your position. Honestly, true power comes from understanding that you're nothing. (laughs) What would it be like if 
you worked so hard in life to accomplish something, and you get to heaven, and you're before the throne of God, and and you say, God, this is what I've done with my life. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) Could you imagine doing that in front of God? When you see what he's done, when you see his power, when you see his mercy, how many times he forgave you in that wonderful life that you built. I think that when we understand that God is our everything and what we have on this earth is, is really <laughs> nothing in comparison to what God is. I think that's a very important place to be. And I think that is the strongest position that any man or woman can take. Surrendering your life and future to God is never done with a powerful and proud fist in the air. It's almost always done face down on the ground, crying, (laughs) sobbing, telling God, this is all I have. If if you still want it. That's where true power is. And honestly, that's why I love the Psalms so much and why I love that David was a songwriter and, and how he shared so many of these times of, of pain that he was going through in the Psalms themselves. Because we, we see this man of greatness and, and we see all these horrible things that happen to him and we wonder, man, he must be a superman or, or something. But he really, he struggled. He had troubles. And he, he at times fought with God. And I think it's very important for us to, to be honest with God, to be real with him. Share with him everything that you're thinking. He already knows it. Just be honest with yourself. And uh, I think it's wonderful that, that David was such a talented musician. And, and I think about, you know, how he must have remembered the days whenever he was playing his harp in the palace and how it was, uh, I bet it was wonderful, you know, just being able to, to worship God in the palace, the windows open. I bet that was a wonderful noise, but you know, I wonder if God was really impressed by it. And I, you know, God is surrounded by this multitude of angels. And, you know, we say usually to compliment somebody, oh, they got the voice of an angel. <laughs> if God had this multitude of angels and angelic beings that that just constantly sang praise to him. And there was a beautiful noise, and I'm sure they have instruments there that we haven't even discovered yet. And it's just this incredible noise. Do you think that he really, I mean, he he loves praise, but was he that impressed by David's praise in the palace? I think what God actually really loves to see, and when I think that he will actually silence all of the angels in heaven just to to listen. I'm being figurative here. But to listen to the praise of a man that's broken. To the man that has nothing. Why would he praise God? He's broken. He has no family. He has no home. He has no king. he, He has no friends. He's living in a cave. Why would he praise God? There's a psalm in Psalm 57. And it's a psalm of David. And it actually says it's the psalm of David regarding the time that he fled from Saul and went into the cave. And at this time, I'm going to ask if Ems and the worship team can go ahead and 
come up on stage. But this song right here is it's so powerful to me because it's, it's a song of the not yet defiant, not yet rescued. It's a song of the people that are, that are in the middle of chaos, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of struggle. So I want to read it to you. It says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. Notice this is all future tense. (laughs) He's saying he will do this. I know he can. He will hear me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am, present tense, surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me, and I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. This is my favorite part in verse 7. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. (laughs) I actually believe that he's trying to, to coach himself to believe this. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. (laughs) Literally saying, I will play in the darkest time of night. It doesn't matter that it's dark. It doesn't matter that I don't see any light at the end of this cave (laughs) or tunnel. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine all over the earth. You know, the reason I mentioned the angels and their singing and David singing in the cave is that angels really, they do not understand what pain is. They do not understand what suffering is. I mean, imagine being in the presence of God, the most pure, the most good, the greatest being of the universe. Doesn't that inspire you to sing? It seems like it'd just be natural for the angels to sing praises to God. But then look at David. Look at him in the cave. He had nothing. And he sang this song. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O Lionheart. I will wake the dawn with my song. That God is a good God. You know, fear, worry, sickness, all of those things will tell you to shut up. (laughs) To do nothing. To hide. They don't tell you to sing. They don't tell you to have faith. And sometimes we tell ourselves, you know, I got to get my act together and then I got to pray to God. (laughs) 
But Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He is there with you when you feel like you're in the darkest time of life. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to do anything but just to come to God. You may be brokenhearted. You may be crushed. And that's perfect. (laughs) Because that's the perfect medium that the potter needs for his clay. You know, I don't understand everything, and I don't think I ever will understand everything, and that's okay, because <laughs> I trust that God is in control, and that it's not about how strong I can be. It's not about the wealth that I can acquire on this earth. It's all about what God is doing. Psalm one forty-seven. 10 through 11 says, He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. (laughs) No, the Lord delights in those who fear him, those who put their hope in his unfailing love. So church, I, you know, what if we stop trying to build our own empires and stop trying to build up this, this life where we sacrifice things that are of real value? And what if we began to trust God, to trust that, that he is working through this situation, that process is more important than placement, that he's not just going to place us in a place. Because honestly, if I think about my life and the success that I had even while I was in Peru, I was building up something that my character could never hold. And God saved me by taking me out of there. He saved me. He, he brought me down and he put me into a closet. And it felt like a cave. And you know, I wondered if God had forgotten me. But he is close to the brokenhearted. And his delight is in those that fear him that honor him above anything else, that say, God, your way is perfect and my way is not. So as I mentioned before, between the two different options that I was thinking, God, did this, did you slip up? (laughs) Is this out of your hands? God, are you unable or unwilling to fix my situation? No, I believe that God just doesn't view greatness like I view greatness. I think that When my life comes to an end, I will understand. (laughs) I probably won't even care. (laughs) But I can trust God through this. And I want to offer this time. I asked the worship team to come up now because I want to (laughs) sing. And if you guys are in the middle of a storm or in the middle of a cave, the last thing that you should do is remain silent. The first thing you should do is praise God (laughs) for all that he's done for you. Just praise him that he's good. And even if you don't believe it, I think that that will do something for you. And he will start to show you that he is good and he is taking care of you. You know, there's so many things we don't understand. But understanding that God is great (laughs) and God is good, I think will solve a lot of those questions that we have.
And in the meantime, when we don't understand, in the meantime, when we, we're confused and we don't know what to do, let's just praise him. Let's praise him through it. So I'm going to ask Ems if you can go ahead and, and start. I'm going to pray. God, we thank you because, oh, you're so good. We thank you because it's not about just what I, uh, the strength that I can muster up or about these, this life that I try to build. It's, God, it's all about you. You're the only eternal thing that I have in my life. So God, I, I pray for all of those people that are maybe joining me in, in this realization that, you know, Life was really great and seemed like it was going good and it just seemed like something happened and, and I ended up in this depression or I ended up just not happy where I am. God, we, we lift that up to you because you know our hearts and we choose to worship you in this time. We choose you, Jesus, because <laughs> you are our strength when we have no strength. <laughs> Your word promises us that you will provide for us, that you're taking care of us, and that you haven't forgotten us, God. We thank you and we worship you in this day. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you feel like standing up and sing this song with us.